answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Thanks for being part of our program and uh, maybe listening to this via radio or podcast and as i was realizing this is a financial planning program both myself and my co-host here we're both financial advisors and we're going to talk about financial matters and i realized the radio podcasts tend to be broadcast a little bit differently than than radio podcast seems much kind of more kickback a little more relaxed like charlie rose used to do interviews just kind of kickback and um so it's kind of funny because I think we have more listeners via podcast now than we have via radio, but we still do this very much like it's a radio program. So but bear with us. On terrestrial radio, you've got spots to hit in certain times in and times out, which actually, by its very nature, means you actually have a less of a free-flowing... Okay, well, it's... By its very nature, because you have to start conversations and end conversations at per- certain points in time. Yes, and yes, that is correct. My only complaint about podcasts, quite frankly, is the ones that run ads, which I don't mind the ads, but don't run the same ad 22 times during your show, the same exact ad. Just go out and get some different advertisers. I don't like hearing the same ad over and over again. That's my biggest complaint. Okay. I could live with the ads because I understand why the ads are there on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. <laughs> These are things that wow, bother. Okay. Oh, I just be glad you're not yeah. in my brain. We're gonna have a whole list of <laughs> things that bother Pat. Yeah, lamentations <laughs> of Pat McLean. <laughs> if that's the kind of thing that you're, you know, life's pretty good. Oh, if not, that's the thing that's no, uh, right, you're yeah, keeping. Anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, we're glad you're here as we're talking about financial matters and as we're getting near the end of the year, and we've got a great program. Not only we're we gonna take some calls. Uh, but the second half of the program, we're going to have, um, we're talking taxes. Oh, this is important this time of year. Yeah. Because there's only certain things that you have to, there's certain things you have to do in the year. To get credit for. To get credit for. There's other things that you can partially do, and there's other things that you could most certainly defer until you file your tax returns. Yeah. So um, anyway, we've got uh, the second half of the program, Michael Mariski, CPA is going to be joining us. We're going to talk tax stuff. So if that's not exciting. Well, our own Michael Morisky from Mallworth. That's right. GPA. Extraordinary. Pretty good. Yeah. And here it is uh, coming towards um, Christmas time. And maybe you're out Christmas shopping. Yes. And uh, I have not, I, I have not been in any store shopping and I don't plan to go into any store shopping. I don't go to many stores anymore. Yes. That's, I go to the grocery store. I, I believe many retailers are aware. I feel that. <laughs> that, that I don't even go to Costco you very know what, much anymore. You know what's interesting? The thing, and we're going to get to the calls and we're going to th- get to the The thing stuff that it, it actually is surprising me, not that people are using it, it's what I use it for. Uh, it, it, like a trip to Home Depot isn't, I'll just wait two days and have them deliver uh, some silicone uh, caulking to my house. <laughs> I do the same thing. Right? Before I would get in my car and drive to the, the Home Depot. I'm like, yeah, I'll just wait two days and it'll come here. And I think the reason Amazon is, is crushing it is because they do s- such a great job and you're so confident and you know you don't have to enter your address and your credit card information. It's and easy. You, and you click okay and then you miss something and it takes out the credit card number. You got to go back and enter it all in again. Right? So... Oftentimes, I'll look. I'm on someone else's website, and then I go to see if it's available on Amazon because it's yes. That's how Amazon's crushing it. I read a statistic the other day. I was reading about the delivery services. Fourteen um, percent of all packages delivered in New York City are stolen. Fourteen. Fourteen percent. Oh my gosh! No way. One out of that, seven. That's that's. I couldn't believe it either. And I thought, how is that a real study? That sounds like fake news. Yeah, I read it in the New York Times. Or the Wall Street Journal, one of the two. 
Um, 14%. And they talked about how uh, employers are actually having to deal with it because they now will not allow employees to have packages delivered to their workplace. Because you imagine... I can see, a, yeah. I'm just going to have a sent to work. And, and if everyone's doing that, <laughs> everyone's got... All right. Anyway. We but better... it's a financial show, so let's uh, get to the finances. And take calls. Yeah, and don't spend so much money on Christmas that derails other things in your, yeah. in your life. Uh, to be part of the program, if you want to join us, 833-99-WORTH. 833-99-WORTH. We'll get you on to our program. And we're going to start taking calls out in Colorado, talking with Jack. Jack, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi there. How you doing? Good. How you doing, Jack? I'm good. Um, I've got a quick question for you. I've got... I've got some, I'm 63 years old, my wife's 70. Uh, I've got some investments built up now. But they are between four different outfits. And as we get closer to retirement, she's pretty much at retirement now. And I'm getting closer, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, they're all doing okay, but I'm wondering uh, who do I go to or which one do I take the advice for in in terms of, uh, oh, doling it out later on when we're ready for retirement. Well, let's talk about what they are, and then we'll give you direction as to how to consolidate them. Um, what? Yeah, first, yeah. Because if it's if they're stocks or bonds or mutual funds, it's really quite simple to actually just put them all in the same custody. And maybe without, without changing any of the investments, you just take the exact same investments and put them all under one and umbrella. And especially if it's after taxes— you want to keep them, if you have large capital gains on them, you may want to keep them intact and not liquidate and buy something new because of the tax implications. So let's start with the first account. Where is it and what is it? Well, it's with an independent fellow, and uh, it's in growth stocks for the most part. Okay, and, individual uh, stocks. I, I, right, and I take it he goes out and buys the advice from, from other people and then puts my stocks into or puts my money into them. And how do you pay uh, this uh, broker to buy the stocks? Uh, he gets a uh, 1.8% per year, I think, oh. commission. Okay. And where is it custodied? So it will either be custodied at Pershing it's or Charles. Ameritrade. Oh, okay. So it's a TD Ameritrade. All right. So, um, right. and this is after tax. It's not in an IRA, correct? Part of it's an IRA. Uh, okay. Gonna, so you've got one uh, guy. And how, do, how, long have been work, how long have you been with his advisor? What's that? How long have you been working with this advisor? Oh, a couple of years now, I think. Okay. Okay. Are you happy? Yeah, very happy okay. with this result. Okay. All right. Where's the next account? Next one is um, Allianz. I've been with them a little bit longer, but it's a, it's going to be an annuity. Okay. Um, they've got a guaranteed no loss, and then they've got a a, a maximum of five percent. And who sold you this game. annuity? What's that? Who, who sold it who, to you? Yeah. Who sold it to you? Where'd you buy it? Um, there's a, a local fellow here in town that that does this. It's not the same guy that you have the stocks with, correct? No. Different, guy. different guy. Okay, where's the third account? Third account is uh, with Fidelity. That's the smallest uh, the smallest amount of money, but it's growing the fastest, it seems like. I hate to put a plug in for him on, on air, but uh, and what it's done very well. What's well, it, it all depends in? what it's in, because at Fidelity, you could be owning anything. Yeah, so Fidelity is the custody, the custodian. It's what's it invested in? You know, I, I couldn't tell you. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that hands over the money to take care of me. Okay. And did you go to a, be the smartest thing, but I don't understand all of it. Did you go to a like a retail branch at Fidelity to figure out who, I mean, who picked the investments for you? The, the Fidelity was, was, um, the result of an inheritance, and so it was done. It was done before the inheritance happened. Got how, it. How long ago was the inheritance? How, how long has have I had it? Yeah, I've had it for uh, again a couple of years, I think. Okay. Okay. And then the Something fourth, like the fourth one, and then the fourth one is a UBS, and he picks mostly just picks stocks. Okay. Uh, what 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 do you think you should do? Well, I don't know. I, I could do hunches and so forth, but, you know, everyone's a fiduciary, it seems. Except um, for the alliance. That's kind of a loose term these days. It is a loose term. Good for you. And uh, the UBS and guy is not. May not be. The UBS guy I like because he's uh, 
uh, he's got the good old fashioned conservative advice, and and I appreciate that. Who? Which? The first one that's held in Ameritrade is um, he does some pretty good planning out out in front and so forth. Who's doing the um, who's who's doing the best planning to talk about? Uh, you know where to take money for your retirement income and how to deal with the what's the taxation on particular funds when you go to withdrawal and I'm going to have to give a nod to the person who's doing the TD Ameritrade what? account, but UBS is pretty close after that. Are there uh, is there advice conflicting ever? Not really, but what I worry is I worry sometimes that. Well, I think you should take the money out of the other guy's account. That way, they, they they get a bigger commission, which I know is not the way it's supposed to work. But, but uh, well, it's actually the exactly the the opposite. Um, well, it should be. Yeah, it's a, you should get a discount right. as you a should larger. get a discount as the larger the account. So if you took the UBS and the Fidelity and you went over to the guy that uh, was managing the individual stocks, um. And, are there any bonds too? Is yeah, there, are there ETFs and that sort of thing? Uh, there are some, not a great deal, but there are some. You know, I got to tell you, I, I if I were you, if you were um, my brother, I'd first of all say, why am I not managing your money? Because um, you would be my brother. <laughs> but if you were my brother, I would tell you to get rid of the fidelity and to move it to either the. Uh, TD Ameritrade uh, guy or the UBS. And the investment to Fidelity might be fine. You might not want to change anything with it, but you don't need that additional layer. And you could actually just say to the guy, hey, I don't want to pay you on this thing, but can you just custody and keep it there? Or you could say to the guy, put it in the portfolio. I would be more likely to move it to the UBS guy because he sounds, at least it sounds like over the phone uh, that he probably has a better diversified portfolio than the individual stock guy. That would be. So would he take the fidelity accounts and, and move them, or, or would he just keep it all where it is? He can move them in kind. He can move them in kind, or he could liquidate and move them. You've had them for a few years, so you may have some gain. I don't know how much. The, he, you well, would hope that he would do I'll, that analysis. I'll be honest with you. The fidelity from the um, first this year till now is about a twenty-two percent gain. So what yeah, we, but the stock market's up greater than that. So, so what, what we know is that you maybe you, the TD guy's not doing a very good job for you. The guy that's using TD for holding your account. Yeah, it depends. If on he's how mostly much, stock, about ten. And is he all stock or half stock or the the, the TD guy? Yeah. Um, I. I couldn't say exactly so what they're in. I just, I just think of them as gross stocks. Got it. So, so the problem is, is it, if he's all in gross stocks and he's only up ten percent for two thousand and nineteen, he's not doing well. No. So the the problem is, is, is you can't compare these portfolios to each other without actually knowing what's inside them, because the one that's at twenty two percent, I guarantee you, it's either ninety or a hundred percent in stock, and the guy at UBS and the guy at TD may have something that's more appropriate for your situation it could be 50 or 60 percent in stock so you comparing returns and not risk it's not fair it's con it's con it's comparing apples and tires that they have no nothing to do with each other so the question you had is can you consolidate yes you could it's the one that i would consolidate is the fidelity and i would do it in kind probably in kind or at least Talk to one of these two and, gentlemen. And have that advisor manage that Allianz annuity for you as well. Yeah, because inside of it, it's probably got some uh, some investments in there. Whether you should have bought the Allianz annuity or not is questionable, but, um, but you have. Um, but I would bring that annuity into someone and say, you know, I don't want to move this because it probably still has a surrender charge on it. How long have you owned it? Well, we've had that for probably 10 years. All right, well, bring like it that. in. It's got a surrender charge. It still has a surrender yeah. charge. Yeah. Oh, after ten years. Wow. That's yeah. that's that's steep. Um have have the investment advisor, one of these guys, look at it. Or you could split it half and half. You could take that fidelity and give it half to the individual guy and half to the UBS guy. But I don't think you okay. you know, bringing it down from four to two would, would be It's better. Yeah, it's better. And that's what the And you can still do. own like the fidelity funds you've got, whatever you've got at Fidelity, there's you don't need to liquidate those if yeah, they're good investments. You can bring them when they when you transfer them in kind, they stay intact. And there's a chance that the the advisor will, if you're still holding them and he's not providing the advice, won't even charge you to to, to house them there. Yeah, they're just going to do it as a courtesy. Okay. And it's just another one less right. relationship to deal with. Yeah.
And have, exactly. have, yeah, that's a good thing. Have one of these guys yeah. look at that annuity. Don't let them sell you a new one. No. <laughs> Don't let them sell you a new one. Right. But you may, you may want to get out of that annuity depending upon the guarantees or you may decide to keep it. But I'd actually bring that annuity to both of them and I'd have them give them opinions on the annuity. And okay. you know what they're made of. Yeah. All right. All righty. I can do that. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate the call, Jack. call, Jack. Thank you kindly. Thanks. All right. Thanks for being a listener of What a nice, uh, it seemed like a nice money. man. I think that about like, everyone though. He seems like a nice guy. He seems like a nice enough guy. Actually, that's why I'm so bad when interview. You're just as well when you interview people for the company. Oh, I can't interview. I like everyone. I, I like most people, and I'm like, they seem like a great guy. And then the human resources, you know, they have absolutely no experience. <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> well, I, I, there's a lot of things I don't know how to really judge for because I don't understand some of the roles in the organization. Yeah. That's why they don't let us make uh, most of the hiring decisions around here. Well, we have help. We People do. that are better at that than uh, yes, I yes. might be. Fortunately. Yeah. All right. To join All Worth's Money Matters, you want to call the program. I'd love to hear from you. 833-99-WORTH. We are in Lodi, California. And I think Lodi, doesn't it? Lodi has more grapes per capita than just about anywhere in the I country. I lived in Lodi for a year once. Uh, Terry, you're with All Worth Money Matters. Yes. Good morning. Um, I was I was calling for one reason, and then I think I answered my own question. So I've got another question. I was initially going to ask about the spousal SSI um, because your understanding of it challenged what I understood. And then I recalled something happened about three or four years ago for people born after right. 1955, which changed that. Yeah, so I, there's a big loophole that um, they shut down essentially. Yeah. Okay, so that that's no longer my question. My yeah. question is going to be, um, I, I'm a si- 64 years old. I've been retired for about two years. Um, I had uh, pretty much most of my retirement money in my IRAs and uh, as well as in some brokerage investment firms. And then last or earlier this year, I went out and bought two rental investment properties and put uh, the 20% down for conventional loans and have solid renters in them that paying, uh, covering the expenses, the PITI, as well as I build in about a four, four and a half percent return uh, on the monthly mortgage uh, mortgage that they're paying. All right. What I was questioning was, would it make any sense uh, to pay both those houses off with my retirement funds money, take, uh, you know, 25 or 30 percent more out than I need uh, pay the taxes, and then have both the rental investments paid off. Maybe. Maybe. How much do you have in okay. your IRA? Um, I've got in my personal IRA about $750,000, of which uh, there's some of it's about four fifty is managed by a, uh investment firm, and I manage about three hundred in my myself. I also have about $1.2 million um, from my former employer's 403B, which is in a 3.5% fixed fund, um, no fees. Okay. Uh, my, brokerage, my brokerage account, I've got about, which is the after-tax non-qualified money, about $250,000 in it. Now, after I've uh, liquidated it down, about $200,000. It started out about four fifty. I bought Two roughly four hundred thousand dollar homes paid a hundred thousand dollars of equity into yep. into it, so I'm left with two loans of about three hundred thousand dollars. And how is the brokerage um, invested? The brokerage is invested in my Schwab account. About uh, the, uh, the two fifty that's still in it is about a hundred thousand dollars is in laddered CDs, and about one fifty is in equities and. Uh, electronic traded exchange funds, the, the different sectors. And what is the uh, interest rate on the mortgage of the rentals? Uh, one is 3.5%. The other is 3.6%. That's amazing. And is your home paid for Are it? these 30-year or 15-year mortgages? They're 30-year. They're my, my home is paid for. It's about a market value, about $600,000. Uh, and you were, able to, you were able to get non-owner-occupied... 80% financing. At some, 20% down, a sub 4% guaranteed for 30 years? Unbelievable. Uh, yes. Good job. And um, 
Well, well, thank you. I, I, I will put the caveat. Um, I've got two sons that that are living in them. Mm. One of their, so they're, uh, oh. you know, quasi-family <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing with you, not at do, you, by the way. We have kids. So. Okay, and they, they do, uh, you know, they're like all millennials. They, they have a lot of cash flow money, but nothing saved. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the money, you know, I made the down payment. They've got a long-term payment plan back to me, if ever. Got it. And um, they... They, they pay the mortgage, and within the mortgage and the insurance and taxes, et cetera, I, again, I, I built in about 4.5% of margin for myself. Okay. And at some point in time, do you think that you would sell them these homes? Um, that's kind of the plan. At a reduced right price or something like that in the future? Perhaps. Um, right now, the way the titles read is my wife and I in our trust, we own 99 percent of both homes and they each own one percent you're really good at this um by the way you really are you're uh an exceptional investor and what a great saver uh to see a account balance in a 403b of 1.2 and either for the rest of the listeners terry either worked at a school school or probably a hospital and maybe a nonprofit. correct uh and are you probably are you taking any income from your 403b or ira i i take another $78,000 a year from it to keep me in my 12% tax bracket and the rest I pull from my brokerage. Had you considered, have you considered um, having some go to Roth conversion instead? Um, I, I started that uh, just this last year and I put, um, I've got 7,000 in it now. So I think no, I, no. I put, let's say, what, I mean, here's one, just one thing to think about for your 20, the next year, 2020, if you took, um, Let's say you didn't. Let Let's say you took out that seventy thousand, whatever the number was, and instead of taking it out, you just simply converted it to a Roth, mm-hmm. and then lived on your uh, your laddered CDs for a period of time. Are you on Social Security yet? I'm not. I was going to wait till seventy. My my wife is taking it now. She started taking it at sixty three, and her payments about two thousand dollars a month. What about taking a spousal benefit? You. Well, that, that's, that was going to be my question, except we were both born in 1955, and they ended Oh, that. no, no, they did They had filed and suspend is what they ended. That's where you would file, and then the, spouse would, and then the spouse would file on a spousal benefit, and then you would suspend yours, so yours started accumulating again. They, they got a, rid of that. They didn't get a rid of spousal benefit. the spousal benefit. You so, said, I want to sign up for my spousal benefit. So, I am not my own, just so my the, spousal. So, so the, the question you called with, which, by the way, is, is financial planning, and it has a tendency to open a can of worms as we have these conversations because we run into these things. The question you called to ask about, does it make sense to pay down the mortgage? I would say no. Probably not. For two reasons. Uh, one is that it makes more sense for you to actually, I would do, if you were sitting in my office, I would say three things. One, uh, a file for the, the Social Security benefit, a spousal, spousal. benefit, and then spousal. look at doing a, uh, a Roth conversion. Rather than taking the money out. Uh, especially between now and the next couple of years, and then live on that brokerage account for some or all of it. And the, the part of the reason of not the, the challenge is just, so you're getting three and a half percent on this fixed uh, annuity inside the 403b and your mortgage rate's slightly higher. The challenge is, is that that those dollars haven't been taxed yet. So the, the, the idea of taking a bunch of those dollars out and paying taxes on it for an interest rate that's so low, it just doesn't. It, it doesn't sit well. And yeah. And, and by the way, you have plenty of these other aren't, assets. These aren't pure investments. These two rentals are not pure investments. Your sons are living in there, and there's a good chance in the next 10, 15 years, those homes are going to be not yours. They're going to be theirs. And, and, and the debt that goes along with it. So the reality okay. is um, you may not have bought those homes if your sons weren't going to actually move into them. Correct. So, so there, it's not an investment. You, you're just trying to. Make I like your, that. They're paying the mortgage. Let them keep paying the mortgage. If yeah. there's no mortgage, who knows? They might not send you that check that month. Because, yeah. come on, Dad, there's no mortgage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Hey, could I ask you that now that you've you've now you've brought it back up again about that SSI? So, my wife gets paid the two thousand a month. My 
statement that I get annually says that, you know, when I'm 66, which will be in two years, I'll get like 3,100. And if I wait till 70, I get like 4,000. Yeah, you're going to wait till age 70. Right. So what my wife getting her 2,000 now, what what does she, what, what does she get? She filed. She's already filed. You get. You'll get fifty percent of what her benefit would have been had she waited till age sixty-six and almost sixty-seven full retirement age. You'll get probably about eight hundred bucks a month. I know, but Scott, wouldn't it make sense for her to actually suspend and him to actually start Social Security and her to take the spousal benefit? And in fact, it may make more sense for her to actually pay back everything she's received, depending upon how long she's taken it. Well. We're up against but this is what we do know, is that there's an answer there somewhere. It's just uh, going to take a little more planning. Then this phone call is going to allow. But I would look at whether she should su- suspend completely, maybe even pay back. You start it, yours, and then hers. You need to do some analysis. And, and I do here. the analysis. You need it. to do some analysis around here. But you're thinking the right way, Terry. You really are. Great we're, saver. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, stick around for more All Worth's Money Matters. Get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McClain. And this uh, second part of our program here today, we are not taking calls. Um, but actually, if you'd like, if, you, if you're thinking, I would like to call us, guys, give the call the number anyway, and we'll schedule a time to take your call at a future time. Uh, but we've got, uh, we're going to talk taxes. End oh. of the year. Exciting. Necessary. Necessary, but exciting. Your taxes are exciting? No. But they're necessary. It's the degree in which they charge them is probably unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> that's subjective. Well, that's obviously, because there are many people that would like to see the tax rates go up. Go up. Yes. Just Many. listen to the uh, particularly the current um, presidential debates. Yes, they um, tax the wealthy. That's the and if you think that, listen, you, you can think whatever you want, but we live in the state of California, and we uh, are we have, Scott and I have many friends that uh, own businesses, and the, uh, many of them are leaving the state of California. Charles Schwab announced they're moving their headquarters from San Francisco to Dallas. Yep. Just outside of Dallas. Yep. How many companies did they say left California? I forget. Because You know why they do? Because they can. The bigger, the better, the more robust an individual's financial circumstance or a company's, the easier it is for them to actually relocate. Not, not the other way around. You know, did you see in the news recently that Amazon uh, just leased a bunch of space in New York City? Which was hard to believe. Well, see, they're trying to go, they, they do this whole process saying they, uh, they went for tax subsidies. New York came with these tax subsidies. They said they're going to choose New York. Or was it Brooklyn? I forget. Maybe it was Brooklyn. Um, uh, and uh, <laughs> then some other people said this is ridiculous and so it fell apart. And now they're leasing a ton of space anyway in New York City. It just kind of makes you wonder. Yeah. What happened there? If some of these handouts. Make- but. Tax rates are anyway, uh, so. certainly um, are important. There are ways to mitigate much of uh And you're talking about companies your- leaving uh, the state of California, the state of New York, the state of Connecticut. Individuals are leaving. You know, it's Who leaves? The people that pay the taxes. What's that leave? A smaller pool. You look at Connecticut. Taxes. Oh, the hedge funds and uh, out of uh, Ridge, Ridgefield. What's, Ridge, what's the town that they're all leaving? Yeah. The uh, real estate pl- prices have plummeted. You can get a phenomenal mansion for half the price what it was five years ago. Yeah. Very wealthy enclave. There's too many. People. I've been back there in Connecticut. Too many trees. It's just way <laughs> too, too many, many trees. trees. It's quite beautiful, actually. I mean, you, be, you, you drive down the road, all you see is trees. What would you rather see? Like 
rolling vistas and plains and some oh. trees, but not just trees. Like dead grass, California hills, right? Kind of, a little the bit. Golden hills. Okay. But now. Anyway. Uh, so we're going to talk tax stuff. And we've got on for the program, Michael Morisky. Michael is uh, a CPA and he heads up Allworth's tax division. So, Michael, welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Thank you. Happy and to be here. Thank you, and thanks for being part of um, the Allworth team yeah, and heading up our. And we have a, we have a tax division that not only does tax filings for people, helps with the compliance, making sure their taxes forms are done and that sort of stuff, but uh, tax planning as well. And he and, heads up the and works with uh, our advisors on uh, tax planning. Yeah, for his team does. Yeah, certain clients. Make yes. sure we got the right kind of tax planning going on, which is. A vitally important part of the financial planning process. And so Michael's joined us to talk about some taxes, and uh, we're going to have this kind of free-flowing and let it go in a variety of different directions because uh, we all have different um, tax situations. And So, Michael, just starting off, what do you see are some of the – and we might have – someone might have given Michael a – these are the questions we're going to ask, and we're not going to stick to the script. I apologize. Of course not. <laughs> what, but Michael's worked this long enough. Did someone give – you have a list of questions we might ask or will ask? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. do we have that list? <laughs> you got the email on it a week oh, or two ago. I didn't read it. <laughs> but I was warned that you would. Uh, yeah. I was warned that you might. What? Uh, you might go off the list. What? <laughs> oh, since I never read the list. What? Just, <laughs> yeah, how would you know? <laughs> what are What are those most common mistakes that you see that individuals make when it comes to taxes? Like, what are the obvious ones that you see that you kind of like? like you kind of cringe, I think. These are the more common ones. Sure. So, um, you know, and, and most of these, frankly, are from people that prepare their own taxes, although you do see mistakes from, you know, professional, uh, professionally prepared returns. But, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, for someone that might have a rental property, they'll not take depreciation on their rental property. Uh, they, of course, will just miss entering in income on their returns. I've seen uh, mortgage interest be uh, doubled or duplicated, you know, uh, some of it as an itemized deduction, again, uh, as a rental, um, just, you know, various uh, things like that. If someone has a rental property, uh, should they file their own tax return or should they get professional help? I guess that's well, a, uh, I guess that uh, depends on the quality of the person filing the taxes. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, like like I said, it, it is easy. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, um, I've never used TurboTax. I understand it asks you questions, but certainly if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you're missing, right? So example is uh, depreciation. You know, a lot of people don't even know what that is. Um, so that that's something that's missed quite often. So I would recommend, you know, if you have a rental or you're, you know, backing up, if you're thinking about having a rental, you should do some tax planning around that and understand what it will mean. Uh, oftentimes, I've had clients come to me and they say, oh, I got a rental. I can't wait to get all these extra deductions this year. And there are limitations based on your income, yeah. uh, You know whether you can take rental losses. And a lot of people get surprised when they're not able to take rental losses. And is that phased out? Is that 125000 when it phases out? What's the limit? 150000 so if your income exceeds $150,000, a married couple, and you have a rental property, you're not going to be able to claim uh, any losses in, at that particular If you have time. net losses, correct. Yeah. Yep. You got to – so – They so, get suspended and carried forward. Carried forward in the future for when you sell, assuming you have some gain in the future. and The whole bit. That's right. Yeah. So that's the whole plan. Yeah. That's the plan. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you to get a gain like on the to rental. Have some gain down the road. Right? <laughs> Let me write that down. Hold but on. but write. and I see this uh, I, it, fairly often where people have bought a second home because their tax preparer told them that they needed more deductions, and right. which is I had a, a, a client come in. She was widowed, and um, her sister came with her, and her sister to guess give her help or whatever, and her sister said. Well, you need to get a rental because you're paying too much in taxes. And this lady was just mm-hmm. widowed. And I'm thinking, that's the last thing you need. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, Correct. Maybe exactly. her tax bill would slightly, be slightly less, but her, wow, is that going to make her life better? Yeah. So so <laughs> you should never let the tax right um, strategy drive the investment strategy. It should be part of. Correct. A- absolutely. And you should also not not let 
these decisions, uh, you know, be driven always, always by tax. Uh, a lot of people will think, you know, should I do this because it's better for tax purposes? And sometimes it's, well, what do you want to do, right? You know, should you buy or lease a vehicle? A lot of people ask me, oh, yeah, I've heard I should lease a vehicle for business purposes. Well, you know, if you're typically someone who drives their car a large number of miles and you like to hold on to it for five, seven, eight years, well, you're not a leasing type person. So, no, you shouldn't lease just because it might be better for tax purposes if you're really not suitable for leasing. I I agree. I agree. I uh so we're near the end of the year. That's why we're having part of the reason to have it. What are, we've had changes in our deductions, itemized deductions, where we're limited now to $10,000 for state and local taxes. Correct. What are some planning things that you see people are doing or you guys recommending with this new limitation? Uh, well, one of them is uh, what some people will refer to as a bunching strategy. So, um, you know, again, and I also want to point out, too, you know, there's there's looking at this from the federal perspective, and there's looking at it from you know primarily for for me California, where most of our clients are. But you know, if you're in a different state, you want to be aware of you know if there's any differences there versus the federal. But um, you know, taking the standard deduction one year and trying to bunch your deductions and itemizing in the off year and kind of doing every other year strategy, you know that that's worked well for some clients, and whether it's for taxes or for charitable contributions or even for medical, you know, trying to alternate years so that you have a much higher itemized uh, deduction amount in one year, and then the next year you take the free amount, right, the, the larger standard deduction. Hey, uh, and speaking about uh, charity, um, do most people get their charitable giving wrong? Are they not doing it the most efficient way they can? I guess that's a leading question because I have an opinion about it. <laughs> Um, well, I, I think it de- it depends on how you look at it. I mean, th- there are a number of clients that, um, you know, again, for federal purposes now, a lot of their charitable giving is really not helping them for tax purposes because they're taking the standard deduction. Yes. So that's one. And what percentage um, What percentage now are standard deduction? 92%, 93% of Americans, something like that? It's it's significant. Yeah. I mean, it's um, – I, I mean – I, I would for our practice, I'd probably say maybe seventy five percent. And that's your practice. Your practice, yes. right? Those are yes. some people that. Uh, wow, these aren't people that are on, um, you know, living in subsidized housing, which are no. seen. Yeah, yeah. So these no. are savers. But I would also say that you know, just to be clear too, that that's on. You know, oftentimes you're taking the standard deduction for federal, but you're still itemizing for California. So that's one of those things to keep in mind before year end is. You know, don't ignore the the charity and, you know, what you'd pay for DMV for your licensing, these things that you would typically use, or job expenses, which are no longer deductible for federal, but they still are, uh, at least for California. You know, don't ignore all that. You still should kind of, as I call it, business as usual when you're gathering all your typical deductions. Don't ignore all that just because you might take the standard deduction for federal because, you, you know, those items may help you for uh, state purposes. But when I was talking about charitable giving, using the charitable required minimum distributions for uh, qualified charitable distributions instead of coming out of pocket or people uh, gifting appreciated assets, uh, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or real property, um, do, do, do many people kind of miss that? Yes. I think um, the the self preparers and uh, those that really aren't using someone to help them on the financial planning side often aren't aware of those uh, those options. So yes, it it is missed. So if someone so someone sits down with you and you do your tax return, do you have a conversation or someone in the the, the tax division uh, have a conversation with the client saying, "Look, this is what you did last year." This is what I think you should do this year and kind of give them bullet points to hit? Yes, exactly. Yep. We always, especially if it's a new client, we go over the last one or two years returns to see what they've done, ensure that it it doesn't look like anything was incorrect, and to see what they took advantage of or what they missed. And, uh, you know, if we're talking to someone right now, for example, there still might be time before the end of the year to act. 
And if not, it'd be a planning piece for the following year. And will you, will you, how often do you have to go back and refile someone's tax returns that it was that far off? Um, and how, how, many um, year, how many years back can you go? Well, uh, usually two to three years you can go back, um, just depending on the, the, the time. Um, the IRS has a three-year statute, and California has a four-year statute uh, for when uh, the returns are still considered open, and you can amend them. Um, you know, I would say it's, it's not a large number, but, uh, you know, every now and then you'll, you'll find someone where it's, it's a significant enough mistake. I mean, I probably have a handful every year where we'll go back and amend at least one or two years because it was, uh, it's worth enough to them to, to do it. And those are typically coming from other preparers or people doing their own taxes or both? Both. Both. Hmm. Yeah. And we, we, yeah. Pat and I were talking before you came on about um, people leaving the state of California or other states yes. and going to tax-free states. And I'm certain that you've um, you probably counseled some people on what they need to be aware of, and in, in when they switching tax residencies. So, yes. tell us about if someone, let's say, someone's lived their entire life in California and saved in their IRAs. Now it's retirement stage. They want to go live in Nevada, live in Texas, live in Florida, or. And for the other states where it's uh, no either tax. low or no income tax taxes. What do they need to be aware of with the franchise tax board? And have to make you sure ever, they're in compliance? Have, have you ever represented anyone that was out of state where the uh, the state was going after their um, income? I have not. Um, typically, it's really my understanding is at least for California is you know unless your income is around a million dollars, the residency audits. You know, usually don't go much lower than that from an income perspective. Okay. So okay. I haven't had anyone deal with that. Um, you know, I would I would even back up. I mean, the first thing I would I would mention to the uh, to the client or the taxpayers is, again, don't let taxes drive the decision. First, you know, do you really want to do you really want to leave? Right? Do you have family friends here? Or, or you know, so don't forget taxes for a minute. You know, don't leave just because of taxes if you really don't want to leave California. Yeah, but but if they are you know really thinking about it, you know number one, your income taxes might go down, but what are the other taxes in that state? Right, are property taxes higher, or are the sales taxes higher? So you don't want to just leave one tax and pick it up uh, with somewhere else, tax. right? You yeah, make, yeah, exactly. You want to make sure that you know if you're moving to reduce your overall tax burden, that that, that that's really going to happen. Yeah, and then um, you know specifically for clients that want to move to Nevada and maybe they're going to have a second home and maybe they're really not moving, but they want to say they live in Nevada. Um, you know, my counsel to them is, you know, the more that you can do to prove that, you know, you really live in Nevada, you know, whether you're voting your driver's license, you know, because when they do these audits, they will actually look at phone records. They'll look at where you see your doctor they might look at credit card receipts to see where you get gas. They and so, they and they know. they're looking at your cell phone records, correct, to, to find yeah. out what yeah. uh, what tower they're pinging yeah. off of. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So is, you know, the more that you can really move to where you say you're living, the better. You have to be there. Have. You yes. have to be there. <laughs> yes. You, you, and you yeah. can't just use this as a way station for you leaving yeah. vacation. You know, it's interesting, Michael. So that's right. Uh, you talk about you know, don't just do it just for the taxes or. Maybe, so there's a few years back, there's an increase. The voters voted to increase the top tax rates for high end, um, the top tax rates in California. And it just, I remember, the, I was just like, I'm thinking. For, for, I'm, mental, for mental health. No, that was, a, that was the years yeah. before. But then oh. there's another one the last, whatever year it was, I forget, a few years back. And I remember, I'm, I remember that, that, that's it. I'm thinking, that's it. I'm yeah. leaving. I'm going to, as soon as my kids are out of the house, I'm going to get move. I'll, I'll figure out how to just work remotely. What um, do I feel about this? So, so I remember, listen, so I, I did some, I started doing some pretty good planning. I'm talking to accountant and all this stuff and looking through the whole, how much it's going to save me. And then my wife and I having this, con so okay, my wife and I having this conversation and um, she says, well, first she's like, I, we've lived here in this community for 20 some almost 30 years. I love living here. She says, can we not afford to live here any longer? <laughs> and I said, no, we, we're fine. We can live here. 
Well, didn't you? <laughs> she says, haven't you worked hard to give us so we have some freedoms and can live where we want to live and those sort of things? I said, yeah. She says, then why do you want to move? What's your, what's your wife using the logic and, on you for? And, you know, it's interesting because I, I, when I really kind of got down and started thinking about it, she was right. And we've had clients that have left California, moved to uh, Texas. Or Nevada. Nevada, Utah. I can, I can think of in my just thinking of the family. Right? And come back. And come back. Right? Yes. And come back. Yeah. So oftentimes when we are counseling someone, we obviously will use our tax services our advisors will have the conversation that is on a more emotional level. Why are you doing yeah. this? What's the draw? If the draw is only for taxes and not another reason, such as climate or family, you may be making a mistake. And, oh, by the way, to minimize the mistake, why don't you rent for a year um, where you're going to live? Or most certainly go and spend a number of weeks in all the seasons there. Uh, to understand it. You had that one client that moved to, uh, what was it, Montana or Wyoming and was going to live there year-round, and after two years, the wife's like, you can live here as long as you want, but I am not spending another winter in Wyoming. They did stay there, though, <laughs> for years. And then they ended up moving, though, did they not? Um, no. Really? I think of the same client yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah. Uh, no. The guy and that then, you, the guy and you then, went no, fly then, fishing with, and the only thing he brought was beer. You were out for like eight I gotta hours. I got to tell you, it's not, yeah. All right, this is a quick side story here. <laughs> right, I, I went to visit a story. We'll call him Jim, because that's his name. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so I went out and visited him and lived in the middle of nowhere in, in Wyoming. Was yeah, it? Wyoming. Okay. Not no, Montana. Montana. And um, he invited me to come stay with his family. Which is always a little awkward. It's all like those commercials house. where you see the advisor going to the guy's wedding. That's you were right. like that. <laughs> so, uh, and you got to but, be friends yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm so he was a huge uh, fly fisherman. So he invited me fly fishing. Um, that's why I went out there. So I don't fish at all. I don't know what I'm doing, right? But I thought this would be an interesting experience. Why not? So we get up in the morning, and you're at someone's house. It's kind of like uh, you're just kind of you're not really asking for anything. Fortunately, there was coffee and a little small breakfast. No, there wasn't any breakfast. There was just coffee. And then we, we started getting in the car, and I'm thinking, well, surely we're going to stop somewhere. Maybe there's a corner gas station or something where they sell something. And we don't stop anywhere. And um, we get to where we're dropping the float boat in. We're floating down this river. Okay. And I said, hey, um, uh, Jim, is, uh, is there like any lunch or anything today? And he says, oh. And he uses a bit of a swear word. Oh. And uh, he, had, he forgot to get the food. And so we had... As we had six Coors Lights between us. That was our that was total fluid, fluid and caloric intake for about seven hours. Was that right? I had the worst headache. No, did you catch anything? Yeah, I a caught, buzz. Yeah. <laughs> Three Coors Lights over six hours. You're not catching a buzz, Pat. I don't, okay. It's not even. Anyway, that's uh, anyway, a total side story. So, but the point being is, don't back to you, Michael. <laughs> you are the, you I are don't know the, why you are the guest on the show. <laughs> fly fishing. You are the guest on the show. Don't. It let, was fun though. I had fun. I think about we're, it. We're, we're back to Michael. Okay. Don't let the tax drive the the, the decision. Make it part of the decision making process. Right. Exactly. That's what about exactly the right. um, enterprise zones? The last tax bill, there was a you're going to get some great tax deduction, eliminate your capital gains if you invest in these enterprise zones. Are people doing it? Uh, not that I know. Okay, um, that's, that's I don't, I don't read know about that I've been asked. Yeah, I mean, you read about them, but um, I think they're probably larger transactions, and, and I just I haven't had one person ask me about it. Yeah, and many of the things that actually were in the enterprise zone were actually in flight uh, prior to the uh, yeah, the, the tax. Uh, What's let me ask you this, Michael? So, as a you know, in looking at taxes, when you're doing tax planning, you're trying to pay attention to both current years tax liability as well as future years tax liability, and sometimes you're just making an educated guess because nobody knows what future taxes are going to be. But in your planning, when you're looking 10 or 20 years out, what are your thoughts as far as taxation and, you know, with overall tax rates, taxation of retirement accounts, oh. taxation of Roth accounts? Will there ever be a flat tax? Is it going to be a, a VAT tax? Is it going to be a, what do you a, think a national sales tax? Well, as much as I think a flat tax or a sales tax 
makes sense. That's probably why it will never happen because it makes too much sense. Well, and it's regressive. Um, <laughs> yes. It's, it's, uh, it, for the rest of the listeners, what that means is the higher the income, if you have some sort of consumable tax, the lower the portion of tax, the lower the income tax rate will go for those higher incomes because they don't consume all of their income. Correct. Exactly. That's why it's called a regressive tax versus our tax but, today is relatively progressive, which is the higher the income tax. Um, okay, let's let Michael talk about the... I'm explaining the difference between regressive and progressive <laughs> I taxes. You, but I want to okay, hear Michael's so my, perspective. Yeah, I'm, wait, I'm, I'm learning here from Pat. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. All right, well, you could, you could quit insulting me and answer the question. <laughs> So, um, I mean, first of all, you know, when we're doing projections, I mean, normally it's, you know, three to five years. It's every now and then you might do a 10-year. I mean, you're normally not looking out that far. But even if you're doing three to five years, it's under the premise that, well, these are the rates as we know today, and that could change tomorrow, right? So everything is based on a set of assumptions. Um, so, you know, at least in my opinion, I don't expect rates to go down from where they are. I, I think they're going to go back up. Will they go back up to where they are pre this current tax act? I don't know. That's probably a safe bet. So when you're kind of looking on the future, it's, you know, your personal opinion of where you think the rates will be. That's, that's one thing. And then with the longer projections, you know, you're, you're also projecting out, you know, if you're pre-retirement or pre 70 and a half, you know, you're really trying to figure out what do you think your required distributions will be once you hit 70 and a half? And that really, you know, in some degree drives your tax plan today because you can kind of look at, well, what, you know, income bracket do I think I'll be in at that point? And, and that will drive some decisions today. Should I accelerate some income? I, you know, if I think I'm at a lower bracket today, maybe I should do some conversions today, which will also reduce that RMD uh, at age 70 and a half. Yeah. Well, we're about out of time, Michael. Um, so, a couple of things that really? people should do prior to the really? <laughs> a couple <of> things <laughs> really people should do prior to the end of the year is uh, to see if th th they should make charitable contributions before the end of the year, pay state, uh, pay income taxes. Yeah, because to the state. if they live in a state where there's um, state income taxes, they very well might be still itemized. Yeah, on and their so state if they're returns. if they're itemizing, they most certainly should do that. We appreciate you being on the show. Unfortunately, yes. we're out of time. That's right. Um, but you can learn more about no uh, the tax division of Allworth at uh, allworthfinancial.com. And we'll see you uh, next week. This has been Allworth's Money Matters from Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.